Well, I'm going to tell you, if I was waiting for a positive response, they're going to judge how y'all feel. This is a crowd with one foot in the grave tonight. We're just coming down from conversation. Gracious. Matter of fact, I believe I can smell it is so close. <laughs> oh, goodness. Well, as you can read, we're going to do a follow-up to Sunday morning. The fruit of the Spirit is love, part two. I got to meditate a little bit this week again. <laughs> it's dangerous, isn't it? <laughs> Oh, goodness. And uh, several other things about love and and what it means and how important it is and so forth I want us to consider tonight. I'll tell you what, let's, um, let's deviate from the norm where we usually open with the prayer of uh, thanksgiving uh, because of there is a need that I want to share with you, and I don't want to forget it, so I'd like to go ahead and do it while it's on my mind. Um, uh, Ron and Linda Bomar's son, Michael, who has cancer, um, had a brain tumor, and they treated it, and he was uh, cancer-free. Now he has other tumors that have returned and will be at the uh, hospital tomorrow from six to eight hours in some testing, and um, Linda asked that we remember Michael tonight. So before we go forward, would you uh, pray with me about Michael and his situation? Thank you, Lord, for being a God who cares about us and every need that we have, every pain, every burden, every difficulty in our lives. You care about it. And so, Lord, as we have been taught in your word to do, and that is to bear one another's burdens, we come to you tonight lifting up Michael Bomar to you. We're asking that you would minister to him and work and move and minister in his life. Oh, Lord, somehow and some way, if it could be within the realm of your will, We pray, Lord, that there would be healing that would come to Michael. Lord, whether it be instantaneous, supernatural, or through what some people call a natural means, the way you have designed these bodies to heal themselves. Oh, Lord, to just touch Michael somehow, some way we pray. Use the hospital, the doctors, if you desire. But, Lord, somehow it would be such a wonderful thing at least in our estimation, to see him receive a miracle and be healed and your name lifted up and glorified as a result. So we're asking, believing, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt you have the power, the ability, no doubt about that whatsoever. So Lord, because you're our loving Heavenly Father, we yield to you tonight and we pray that your kingdom would come and your will would be done. You love us in a way that we can't even imagine. You want what's best for us. We thank you for that. So meet this need, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, on Sunday morning, um, we talked about, um, as we really began this series, The Fruit of the Spirit, 
We talked about love. It's the, it's the first thing on the list, right? The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. Uh, and I've shared with you that we plan to go through Sunday by Sunday and take uh, each one of those things uh, that are listed there to help us understand better what it means um, to have the Holy Spirit of God working and moving in our lives like He should to produce certain things. Um, that's why it's called the fruit of the Spirit, because it's what the Spirit wants to produce in us, uh, so that as people look at our lives, they can see fruit. Um, a lot of times, especially in the Pentecostal church, people have become a lot of times more excited about the gifts of the Spirit than the fruit of the Spirit. And without taking all the time to go through it again, I'd like to just kind of share with you the bottom line on that, on the thinking as you think, consider the two. According to 1 Corinthians 13, what people identify as the gifts of the Spirit is worthless without the fruit of the Spirit. Right? We took a little while to show that because Paul said, it doesn't matter if if you speak in tongues. It doesn't matter if you prophesy. It doesn't matter if you have revelation. You can have all those things. But if you have not love, it profits you nothing or it profits nothing. So love is extremely important. So that led us into a line of thinking about defining what love is because we've got it all messed up in America. If you believe me, would you say amen? amen. Based on what we shared Sunday. Because we, we have in our minds this little shallow understanding of what love is. Where people fall in love, but then it's such a shallow thing that they can fall right out of love just a few weeks later if things don't go well. That's not the love the Bible's talking about. That's not the fruit of the Spirit. There may be um, attraction, physical attraction, even lust even a desire for companionship, even what God created in man and women, the urge to merge, be fruitful and multiply, all of that comes into play, and all of that can be present, but it still not be love, at least not in this sense. Um, many of you will remember I shared on Sunday how that the um, statistics for divorce in the United States is what? 50 to 55% divorce rate. That's terrible. But then we shared another statistic among the parts of the world, and in some cases even in America where this is done, where there are what are known as arranged marriages. Moms and dads on either side get together, and maybe when the kids are five years old and choose a mate and decide to, these are going to marry one day, and they arrange this marriage. And somebody tell me, if you remember, what is the divorce rate among arranged marriages worldwide? Four to six percent. They're a lot more successful, according to statistics, than what we call love marriages in the United States. Um, so as we... As we talk about this tonight, 
we're going to continue to try to build on this understanding that love in the Bible is something totally different than what we understand as a culture today. When you um, stand, if you're married, you stood before a pastor, a magistrate, the captain of a ship, a judge, somebody, an officiant, you stood before them and, and took vows for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, sickness and in health. And, and everybody says, I do. But then let some of those things begin to happen, and all of a sudden they've decided, I don't, and they want out of that marriage. I believe it was Tony a week ago tonight that was telling us about a marriage ceremony that you had attended recently, where in the ceremony, correct me if I'm wrong, the groom in his vows promised he would never divorce this woman. They both did, okay? And that's, uh, it is, that's awesome. Now that's, and of course the reason I'm sharing all this is because as we talked about on Sunday in the sermon, the book that was written, the bestseller, Gary Smalley and Trent, forget it, John maybe, Gary, Gary Smalley, John Trent, I believe it was, the bestseller, Love is a Decision. When it comes right down to it, you have to decide you're going to be committed to this. Because if all it is is emotion, it won't last. True? Because, man, I'm going to tell you, it can be good, and it can be enjoyable, but it can be terrible at times, too, if you don't know how to get together, work things out, and if your um, mind's not made up. Would you all agree that it'll never last if your mind's not made up? There's too many reasons along the way to give up and jump ship, right? So love's got to be more than this shallow thing we see portrayed in our culture today, okay? And so we, we spent time talking about that, and tonight I want to um, develop that thought a little bit more as we're going to let Scripture define for us what love really is. Most all of you will know this, but the Bible says that God is what? Love. That's a scripture in the Bible. You can find that in 1 John 4, 8 and 1 John 4, 16. God is love. How, how many of you know there's also a scripture that says love is of God? God is love, the Bible says, and love is of God. I think this is what got me on this um, this little meditation trip I've taken the last couple of days to think, what does that mean? God is love, and then love is of God. We're going to have to take a good look at God, I think, to understand the real um, a real understanding, a biblical understanding, a correct understanding. Of what love really is. So for for the next few moments, if you have your Bibles and you want to go there, that's fine. If you don't, you might want to just listen. And also I'm going to give you references for most of these. I would like to um, share with you quite a bit of Scripture tonight. Love has got to be greater than an emotion. 
you'll recall, it's one of my favorite quotes. I, I use it from time to time. Martin Luther said this, Feelings come, and feelings go. And feelings are deceiving. Deceiving. Feelings come and feelings go. Is that right? Some mornings you feel great and you're on top of the world, right? And the other other mornings you might not say good morning, Lord, but you might say good Lord, it's morning. And you don't, feelings come and feelings go and feelings are deceiving. My warrant is the word of God, Martin Luther said. Not else is worth believing. You can trust the word of God. You can't even trust how you feel. There's times you might not even feel saved. You might feel defeated. You might not feel joy. Right? We've all been there. But we have to learn. We don't walk by our feelings. We walk by faith. You can't trust your feelings. So, as we're, we're going to talk tonight about making a decision, a commitment, a mind that is made up, that is a very integral part of what love is. Jesus said in Matthew nineteen nineteen, love your neighbor. Well, that's not usually too difficult to do unless he has a dog that barks all night long. Right? Or wants to crank up his motorcycle at four AM and it's got one of those real loud ones with no muffler on it, you know, and I mean there's all kinds of things about your neighbor that can be very irritating, right? And you've watched the news enough to know that there's been a lot of times where neighbors had issues with one another and it ended up in court and it might have ended up in a brawl. Sometimes you can have very difficult neighbors. But Jesus didn't qualify that anywhere. He just said, love your neighbor. Am I right? Yeah. And then the Bible tells us in John thirteen thirty four, Jesus said, love one another. He didn't say love certain ones of each other. He just said, love one another. That's kind of a blanket thing. We, we are all supposed to love all of each other, according to the Bible. The Bible says, husbands, love your wives. Is that always easy to do? No. Come on, women. Y'all sit there real smug as you waiting for an answer. You know the answer. And, it's, and, it's, and it goes the other way too, right? It works both ways. We're supposed to love our wives. Wives love your husbands. We're supposed to do that. But it's not always easy. But we're supposed to do it. So love's got to be more than, than just an emotion that uh, is right at certain times and not right at the others. Love is a decision that we make. It ends up actually being a glue that holds us together because of the commitments we've made and the decisions and so forth. Here's one that will really get you. Jesus said this in Matthew 5, 44. Love your enemies. Now, that is, that's a tough one, isn't it? Somebody's mistreated you. Somebody's done you wrong. Somebody's lied about you. Somebody's out to get you. Somebody stole from you. Somebody raped your baby. And Jesus says, love your enemies. Did he not? Now, I know we struggle with that. You don't like those illustrations I just gave because they really hit home and make us think. But 
watch this. Who is our example for love? Love is of God. God is love. If we're going to understand what love is, we're going to have to take a look at how God defines it. How does God define love? Does God love the rapist and the murderers? That was a little weak. Now, I want, us, I want us to think real because if we understand what love is according to the Scripture, it's going to have an impact on how we behave. Does God love the murderers and the rapists? Now, I'm not asking you if He loves what they do. I'm not asking you if He loves the sin. I'm asking you, does He love the sinner? He loves the person, doesn't He? doesn't matter who it is and what they've done. He loves them. God so loved all the holy people in the world that He gave His only begotten Son. Is that what it says? No, it just says God so loved the world. All the sinners, the wickedness, the, the things that make us want to, because of the, it's so sinful sometimes. God, we ought to be thankful He loves sinners. Because we were all in that camp. Right? God so loved the world. God didn't choose to just love righteous people, holy people, English-speaking people. He, did, he wasn't selective with His love. God loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. I'm going to tell you, that's something we need to keep in mind when we define what love is. Because love is not selective. Love is not prejudice. Love is not... Love is, is so all-encompassing, real love, biblical love. It's an amazing thing. And when Jesus calls us to love our enemies... That's a pretty that's a pretty tall order, isn't it? And something that I don't even think can be done without God. The grace to forgive somebody who's harmed a loved one of yours, it's gotta come from God. I remember several months ago, could have been years now, you know how you lose remember the shooting in Charleston? And when on a Wednesday night just like this, there was, what, nine or ten or twelve people gathered around in a little room in a church in Charleston, African-American church, and they were sitting around, they were having Bible study, and this young man walked in, and they welcomed him in to their group, and he sat around the table with them and, and sat there during Bible study, prayer time or whatever, and then what did he do? He shot him, wasn't it? Is that right? He shot him. Does anybody remember? Does anybody remember that local church? Do you remember the dynamics of what happened in that church afterwards? What was it, Christy? It was amazing. Nationally, they were reported on TV. They didn't hold grudges. They, forgiveness, they were, they were Christ-like in the way they were handling this. Um, they didn't make it a, a racial, 
Remind me after tonight to talk to them about games and what is appropriate during this time, okay? I'll forget it if you don't remind me. But, but popping balloons is not appropriate during this time inside. Um, I don't even know where I was. Yeah, they they um, they handled that in a very Christ-like way. Okay, everybody um, needs forgiveness, right? Everybody needs um, grace, and and that's where love comes in. And sometimes we get real selective in who we think should be forgiven and who shouldn't. And we have to be careful about that. Um, The man who has never, or woman, who's never lived for God, never gone to church, always been vile and wicked and sinful and hateful and bitter and mean, can take a trip to the altar and be changed by the grace and the love of God and forgiven for everything he's ever done and be just as saved as anybody in this building. Amen? That's God's love. And so, as we continue to go through this list, remember, Jesus said, love your neighbor, love your uh, loved others, love your wives, husbands, love your enemies. Here's, here's something else that popped in my mind during this, just thinking about this. Matthew 24, verse 12. Listen to this. Now, tw- chapter 24 is a passage about the end time. You know, nation against nation, wars and rumors of wars and all kinds of things. Listen to this. Matthew 24, verse 12, describing what's going to happen in the end time. The love of many will wax cold. Where there should be love, it has just dissipated. It's evaporated. You don't find it where it should be. You don't find it where you would expect it. The love of many will wax cold. Um, Jesus said in Matthew five forty six, If you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Anybody can love people who love you, right? I mean, if every time you see somebody, they slip $100 in your hand, you're going to love that person, aren't you? Yeah. You just love it. But that's not... Jesus said we're not just supposed to to love people who love us. We're supposed to love our enemies and people who despise us. That is so far away from the principle by which we operate our marriages, isn't it? In our marriages, we want our way. And I'm talking about the ones that don't make it. You know, hubby wants it this way, the wife wants it this way, and they fight about it a while, and it, it, it kind of evaporates, and things get, but, but then they come right back, and they hit it again, and after a while, they can't work it out, and this one still wants it this way, this one still wants it that way, and eventually, it just gets so big that they give up and quit, 55% of the time. Jesus said, in Mark 12, verse 30, love the Lord thy God. Love the Lord thy God. See, not only are we supposed to love one another and our neighbors and our enemies, but we're supposed to really love God too. 
which also is going to imply some uh, consistency, right? Make a decision. Commitment. Faithfulness, we could say. The possibility of us doing that, what makes that possible, John 5 verse 42, again, is the love of God in you. God is love, but then He He graces us through the Spirit of God with the capacity for that same love to be produced in us. It's a, it's a supernatural thing. It's an amazing thing. In John 14, verse 15, Jesus says, If you love me, do what? Keep my commandments. Now, Jesus tied two things together there. The keeping the commandments with really loving Him. Not just saying you love Him. You see, everybody who says they love Him does not. The scripture for that one, right? Lord, Lord, we've cast out devils. We've done many wonderful works. We've done all these things. And Jesus looked at them and said what? Depart from me. I never knew you. So Jesus says, if you love me, then keep my commandments. And then John 15, 9 and 10 goes right along with that. It's not a sporadic thing, but Jesus says two times, abide in my love. Abide in my love. You see, we like to think about what we receive from God, His love, but but that's not the end of the story because His love, as we're going to read another scripture in just a moment, says is shed abroad in our hearts. And the Holy Spirit in us reproduces that love so that we can share it with others. Which is what this whole whole topic of love is about. The fruit of the Spirit is the Spirit of God working in us, producing in us what we never would have produced on our own. Think about the forgiveness we've talked about a little bit about and the, the capacity to bite our tongues and not talk sometimes when we'd like to tell that neighbor to shut that dog up. And all kinds of other things that irritate us and we'd like to respond. And sometimes for the sake of um, peace, we just bite our tongue. We don't say anything. Could somebody say Christ-like? Yeah. You can you can say it in a loving way, can't you, Eddie? You say please afterwards. Shut that dog up, please. <laughs> oh, the Bible says now. Paul is speaking now in Romans five verse. Is that me? Um, Romans five five. The love of God is shed abroad in our hearts. Wow. That's good. Romans 5.8 says, God demonstrates His love. How does God demonstrate His love? Now, don't answer, okay? Because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to answer. I'm, I'm going to answer the biblical answer from which I took the Scripture. God demonstrates His... You see, He wants us to know what love is, too. He wants us to see it. So the Bible says in Romans 5.8 that God demonstrates His love 
Because while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were sinners, we weren't, we weren't worthy, we didn't deserve it, but while we were sinners, he still died for us, the Bible says. And God demonstrates his love by doing that. It's counterintuitive, it's something that you wouldn't think would happen, but it's something that he wants to see some of that in us as well. He wants to see us sometimes give of ourselves maybe extend some mercy where no mercy was really deserved and show love. And then the Bible says in Romans 12 verse 9, let love be without hypocrisy. What's that all about? Let love be without hypocrisy. Charles? What's a hypocrite? So you mean just because somebody says that they love you, that doesn't mean it's the case necessarily? Okay. Or because somebody says they love God, that doesn't necessarily mean it's true. Okay. So the Bible says, let love be without hypocrisy. And certainly don't pretend to a person one thing and then be another. Right? Let Love is, is such, a, such a big thing. Remember the, the diagram on the wall Sunday morning that I put up there? Love is like a umbrella. And all the other fruit of the Spirit comes underneath that umbrella. Love is at the top. 1 Corinthians 13, we worked through that, remember? All these things were listed. Now by the faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Because everything else issues out of this real love relationship that we're talking about. Let love be without hypocrisy. Uh, Romans 15 verse 30 talks about through the love of the Spirit. There again, it is the Spirit that produces this love in us, something that we could not do without Him working in us. Uh, this one was interesting to me. When we went through several months ago, maybe years ago now, I don't remember, First, we went through 1 Corinthians. Uh, it's been several years ago. Tell me some things you remember about the the Corinthian church and what Paul had to talk to them about. Anybody remember? Let me just do it this way. Was first was Corinth was Corinth? Would you call it a um, good, strong, quote, perfect church, or would you call it a very troubled church? Was very troubled. Many di- on many different fronts. Um, all the way through the book of First Corinthians, Paul is addressing certain problems in that church, over and over and over. But in this particular passage, as he ends his whole book, and he's he's given them so much instruction and given them. He's almost, um, as you read 2 Corinthians, he's created for himself some enemies too. We'll see that in a few moments. But as he closes out his epistle, he didn't choose sides. He simply says, my love be with you all. I like that because that's consistent with what Jesus said, love one another. Now, Paul, you've, you've talked pretty straight to some of these people. 
and 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 that in front of the whole crowd, and everybody knew who you were talking about. And he closes out the epistle by saying, "My love be with you all." He wasn't selective. He was teaching there. You're not selective with your love. You love everybody, no matter who they are and how they treat you. you you're not selective whether you love or not. You don't have to agree with everything everybody does. You don't even have to like everybody. You have probably heard me say before, I like everybody, but there's some people I don't... I love everybody, but there's some people I don't like very much. It is true. There is a difference in liking what people do and making a decision to love everybody. And so Paul says that uh, my love be with you all as he closes that epistle. 2 Corinthians 8, 24, uh, there's a passage there that talks about the proof of your love as he talks to the Corinthians. And in this case, it was an offering for the saints that was being um, received. It could just as easily have been forgiveness that he had been urging or other things. But this would be proof of your love. 2 Corinthians 13, verse 11 Paul calls, here's a quote about God, the God of love and peace. Um, This coming Sunday we'll be talking about what fruit, what segment, joy. And then the next Sunday, peace. In this passage we have two of them where he says he's the God of love and peace. 2 Corinthians 13 verse 14 He says, the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you. And there again, we see this connection between the Holy Spirit of God who produces this love in you. We call it the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5 verse 6. Faith working through love. Faith is another one of the gifts we'll be talking about later. But it works through love. Uh, Galatians 5 verse 13 says, by love, serve one another. Somebody give me two different attitudes that you can have while you're serving. You're doing something for the church. You're doing something for God. Do you always do it with a good attitude? I'm not, not you. Do people always, do people always serve with a good attitude? I've heard people, I've seen people serve before and they complain the whole time they were doing it. And I'm thinking to myself, why don't you just go home? You, you're not, if you're not doing this because you love God, if you're going to complain about it the whole time you're doing it, then you might as well not do it. And the scripture says we love, or by love we serve one another. So we can, we can, there again, we're reaching out to other people. We're serving one another. Not because we have to, because we want to. Because it's a part of the nature that's within us. We genuinely love one another. And you see somebody who's hurting. You see somebody suffering. You see somebody who's lacking. Then you reach out and to help that individual to love them. Ephesians 3.17. Being rooted and grounded in what? You'll never be grounded in anything with the Lord until you first grounded with love. I believe that. After, after studying what we've done the last few weeks. Love is the key. Love is the top of the umbrella. Love is the first in the list. Love is the most important. First Corinthians. Whether it's your enemies, your, your friends, your spouse, it doesn't matter. Love, God is love and love is of God and, and we have to get that in our hands, in our minds. And a sign of the last days is that love will wax cold. 
Love begins to vanish. Hearts begin to harden. People get bitter, grumbling, complaining, and the love just kind of has a way of disappearing. It's a warning. It's a warning. And we'll see that very clear, clearly in a few moments. So Ephesians 3.17, being rooted and grounded in love. Ephesians 4, verse 2, forbearing one another in love. Talk to me a little bit about what that means. Forbearing one another in love. What's forbearing mean? Putting up with... Listen, if you're here tonight and you have ever had to put up with anything, would you just lift your hand? We're on the same page, okay? Y'all know what we're talking about, right? Ronnie's shaking his head. Nelda's shaking her head. Yeah, we have to put up with stuff, don't we? But how many of you know, honestly, we can love even though we put up with stuff? The two do go hand in hand. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace is very important. We are forbearing one another in love. A few verses later, the Bible says, speaking the truth in love. You see, because you speak the truth doesn't mean you don't love somebody. You speak the truth because you do love somebody. Exactly right. Amen. It's not always easy to hear the truth, is it? But sometimes, if somebody loves us enough to speak the truth in love, it can be very helpful. The Bible tells us in Ephesians 5 verse 2, that we're to walk in love. What's that mean? Carry it with you everywhere you go, right? It's a way of life, Eddie says. This, this, is, not, um, this is not something we do from 9 to 5 or on Sundays only. This is, this is who we are. We love people. We love people if we're at the church. We love people if we're at the ball game. We love people at Food Line. We love people at Walmart. Wherever we go, we're just people of love. That's who we are. It's not a front. It's not a, it's not a facade. It's not being hypocritical. It's not wearing a mask. It's not playing a part. It's who we are. We genuinely love people. And you don't always have to have a smile on your face. No, you don't. For those of you who are here who are parents, there have been times you know, when true, it's true in marriages, it's true in, in the family unit, it's true on the job sometimes, wherever you are, it can be true. But we have to walk in love and make the decision we're going to handle this properly. Love with faith, 623 says of Ephesians. How many of you remember the Brill Cream commercial? Little dab do you. That's not the way it is with love. No, because the Bible says in Philippians 1.9 that your love may abound. 
And then 1 Thessalonians 3, verse 12, abound in love toward one another. What's it mean to abound? Yeah, it's just it's just running over. Um, boy, love is extremely important. I really like this one. I think it, aside from these two statements, this statement is the one who kind of got me on this path tonight. Turn with me in your Bible, if you would, to 1 John 3. Bible says in verse 1, Behold. What's that mean? Look. Look. Look what manner of love. Look what kind of love. The Father hath bestowed on us that we should be called the children of God. He's, he's almost expressing astonishment there. Wow, look. This is amazing. Look at the manner, the kind of love that... That the Father has bestowed upon us. And then it goes on to explain what he's talking about. The world does not know. The world does not know us because it did not know him. Beloved, now are we the children of God. We didn't used to be. But now we are the children of God. And it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when he is revealed we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. Very important. What manner of love? Oh, it's an amazing thing. Jude 21. Just one chapter in Jude. Verse 21 says, Keep yourselves in the love of God. Let's stop right there for a minute because that's important. Keep yourselves in the love of God. What what's that telling us? Sustain it. Sustain it. Give some attention to it. Make require some effort. Does it not? Go ahead, Charles. Remain steadfast. Remain steadfast. Keep yourselves in the love of God. Does it not tell us that there's a possibility that you could stray from the love of God? I don't think I'll ever look at Revelation 2 the same way again after thinking these thoughts that we've shared tonight where the Bible says to that church, you have left your first love. And I used to kind of think, well, it it must be that they really were spiritual and, you know, tender in their heart and... and, um, Maybe they don't love Jesus like they used to. And, I, and all that is true. But the Bible says they had left their first love. All these things that we've, we've talked about tonight, they had kind of forsaken that. Now, what did we say love was? Not a feeling, but a decision. They had made a decision to follow Christ. Were they following through with that decision? No. Because the Lord says they had left their first love. 
and they needed to repent and return and go back to their first love and keep their commitment, right? And be faithful and, and fulfill their promises, keep their vows, and do what they had promised the Lord they were going to do. They had to make a decision and a commitment all over again. John chapter 13, verse 1, the Bible says, Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Now the context of this passage is we're, we're at the Last Supper. And Jesus is getting ready to wash the feet of the disciples. And as you enter this scene of the Last Supper, the Bible says, And having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Are you with me? Jesus sits down at the Last Supper. And he knows one of them is about to betray him. Did he? But the Bible says, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. In just a few hours, Jesus was going to have nails driven through his hands and feet, spear in his side, a crown of thorns on his head. And the whole time they were doing all these things to him, the Bible says he was praying. And what was he saying? Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Again, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Whether it was the ones who were with him, his disciples, because they all fled, did they not? And he knew that. He knew they were going to do that. He loved them. They, they were flawed. They could fail. They could stumble. They could let him down. Like, the, like, like Peter, for instance. Denied the Lord three times, even with cursing the last time. And, you know, here's what a lot of us would like to do with somebody like Peter. It's like a punt and <laughs> kick him right out and not have to deal with him anymore. That's not the way Jesus did. See, the Bible says his, his heart and his attitude. The Bible tells us he knew he was going to be crucified. He knew these things were going to happen. And I love the way the writer says, before this story is ever told, the Bible says, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Not only his own, not only those who had followed him, but all those others out here who cried when Pilate said, who would you like for me to release to you? And they cried out, Barabbas, give us Barabbas. What do you want me then to do with Jesus? Crucify him. And the, the thousands were screaming out, crucify him. And then a few days later on the day of Pentecost, Peter stands up to preach his sermon. And some of those same thousands were out there. Peter preached that sermon and you know what they said? What must we do to be saved? And Jesus was ready to receive them and save them, right? Because of love. Not holding grudges, not harboring ill will, not saying, you need to be punished for a while. We're going to make you pay. We're going to put you on probation. <laughs> None of that. Jesus was willing to save them. 
and the Holy Spirit was willing to fill them, and they came to the Lord. What a wonderful thing. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Second Corinthians chapter 12, verse 15, the Apostle Paul said to them, he said, Though the more abundantly I love you, the less I am loved. What's happening there? I was going. I was hoping that word "truth" would come up again. Paul is just telling them the truth, and he's telling them the truth in love. Didn't go over very well, and he says, "Though the more abundantly I love you, the less I am loved." May I remind all of us who are here tonight that if you go back and look at the history of all the prophets in the Old Testament, what happened to them? All died for the faith, martyred, suffered, beaten, persecuted. You get to all the apostles of the New Testament, what happened to every one of them? They were all persecuted for the faith. All of them were martyred except for John. He died of an old age, but boy, did he have troubles, as history records. And then hundreds and hundreds of thousands after him, even today, the Bible teaches us that those who will live godly in Christ Jesus, they'll suffer persecution. If you think you're going to win popularity contests because you're a follower of Jesus Christ in this world, in this culture, you can forget it. It's not going to happen. It's going to cost you. That's why Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me. Um, there's got to be There's got to be some insight there to know that all the prophets in the Old Testament died or were martyred. All the apostles in the New Testament, everybody who spoke for God, rejected, had a very difficult way to go. And we expect the prosperity gospel to just save us all and make us heroes. And it's not biblical. So, what we're looking at is understanding the importance of this concept of love. Revelation 1, verse 5. This is the last scripture I want to share with you. And it simply says, To him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. And that's what Jesus did for us, right? Because he loved us. There's an old song. We're not going to sing it. I just want to read to you the, the words to this chorus of this song. Thinking about what Jesus did for us, the price that he paid. The song says, if that isn't love, then the ocean is dry. There's no stars in the sky, and the sparrows can't fly. If that isn't love, then heaven's a myth. There's no feeling like this if that isn't love. But it is love. The greatest act of love that we could have ever witnessed and imagined. The story of the gospel, the good news of Jesus, who came to give his life, died on a cross for you and me, unworthy sinners, all because of love. Amen? Amen. Amen. Anybody have any comments or questions tonight? 
since we've looked at love and um, seen the primacy of love, the importance of love, the priority of love in the eyes of our Heavenly Father, what should we take away from that as individuals? Well said, Charles. As human beings, you know, <laughs> we all, you know, that's the one thing that we, the common, one common denominator throughout the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, is we all human beings. You know. Yeah. And uh, as I said before, you know, you know, in praying, I say, I know I'm, I'm, you're molding me. I'm, you're not finished with me, with me yet. <laughs> you know, I will never, ever be perfect. Yeah. Absolutely. Aren't you glad that he loves? Don't you wish that everybody in the body loved? Wouldn't it be a wonderful wouldn't it be a wonderful group of people to belong to if they all did and understood this and lived it? That's what heaven will be like. That's what heaven will be like. There's no fear in love, but perfect love cast out fear. Very true. Thank you for coming tonight. Uh, does anybody else have a prayer request? We shared one earlier and prayed about that, but anybody? Wayne? Uh, if you pray for my daughter, Wayne, she is having a difficult time. She's had several surgeries. She's very bad diabetic, and she's still having a wound that has Luana? Oh, not Luana. Lorraine. Excuse me. Lorraine. Anybody else? Okay, Sunday morning we're going to be talking about joy. And then the next week is peace. Incidentally, um, it comes to my mind. I probably need to go ahead and share with you tonight. Next Wednesday is July the 4th. And we will not be having service on July the 4th. Just want to go ahead and make that uh, announcement tonight. If you would stand with me. Let's, um, let's pray for Lorraine. And let's pray for all of our folks who are traveling. And also for our Sunday service that's coming up. Let's pray. Lord, we do lift up Lorraine to you and pray that you would minister to her. Lord, she is having great difficulty with diabetes and the problems that result from that and amputations and infections. And Lord, we just ask that you would minister to her. You're a healer. You're able. You tell us we have not because we ask not. So we're asking, Lord, that you would move and minister. Lord, in her life. Touch her, I pray. And then, Lord, for those who are traveling, uh, we have several people still vacationing and will be in the next few days. Lord, keep your hands of mercy upon each one. Grant traveling mercies to all, we pray. 
And then, Lord, we're asking that you would um, help us as we draw near to you this coming Lord's Day and we come in to worship you in spirit and in truth. Oh, God, grant that we might uh, be here with a pure heart and having walked in love and a desire to draw nearer to you and be yielded to you. And we do lift up this subject tonight that we've talked about, love. Help us, as the Scripture says, to love one another with a pure heart fervently. Oh, Lord, your word says that by this shall all men know we are your disciples if we have love one to another. So help us to be that kind of disciple. Help us to be that kind of people. Help us to be that kind of church where others can see the glory of God and the love of Jesus Christ operative in our midst. What a blessing that would be. And we would give you thanks for it. In Christ's name we ask it. Amen. 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 Thank you all for being here. Gracias.